Welcome to the Painters Today podcast, a series of one-to-one interviews with contemporary British artists hosted by Lucy Cox. If you enjoy this series, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podbean or your favourite podcast provider and consider following me at 23carousels on Twitter and Instagram. You can also contact me via email painterstoday at outlook.com. Episode 16, titled This Must Be The Place, features Narby Price, a painter who lives and works in Newcastle. Narby won the Contemporary British Painting Prize in 2017, was a prize winner in the John Moores Painting Prize in 2012, and featured in Fidon's Vitamin P3 New Perspectives in Painting. Recent exhibitions include the 2019 Royal Academy Summer Show, and Picture Palace at Transition Gallery in London. He is currently studying towards a PhD at Newcastle University in collaboration with Woodhorn Museum and the Northumberland Archives. Follow him on Instagram at Narby Price. We discuss the Ashington painting series that informs his PhD thesis, his visit to Gdansk in Poland, painting and photography, and why historical events and locations, from iconic street corners to gruesome scenes to the poignant and the personal, fascinate him. This podcast was recorded in May 2019. Studio's been taking a little bit of a back seat as I've been doing a lot of writing. I'm coming to the end of my PhD. Uh, but the piece you can see there to your left, um, it comes from um, that time that uh, contemporary British painting um, spent in Gdansk um, for the recent exhibition there, which is still on at time of recording, I think. Yeah, I, I think it ends in June, I think the 2nd of June. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we had a few days in, in, in Gdansk and um, I went to the um, the Museum of the Second World War there, which was... Uh, did you go there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating place and really interested to mm-hmm. have that um, shifted perspective on the war from a Polish point of view, I thought. And I didn't realise before seeing that museum how... Uh, pivotal role uh, Gdansk had played in the Second World War. Mm. Um, so I went up to to Westerplatte uh, on the on the coast, and that's where this painting uh, is. Um, so it's the site of the first battle of the Second World War, um, and yeah, it looks quite. Somebody said to me on Instagram the other day that it looks kind of Californian, which I mm. <laughs> I, I quite like because it was freezing as mm. well. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's something about that uh, that nothingness being the, the site of something that was so historically um, important. 
Mm. Um, that would have been the something like the um, the view that the Polish soldiers would have had of the approaching German forces. Mm. Mm. And that idea of violence within narratives and landscape and painting is something that's been like a reoccurring theme in your in your painting. Yeah, very much so. I'm. I'm, I'm interested in the in the idea that history and layers of history are, are present everywhere uh, I'm interested in the idea of pilgrimage um, I'm interested in the idea that I think it's a very human thing that um, we want to uh, visit sites where things have happened so I mentioned the word pilgrimage um, mm. what do pilgrims expect to find when they get to Mecca uh, mm. I'm interested in this kind of referential uh, deferential deferential <laughs> um, expectation of, of a site when you, if you're going there for a particular reason mm, mm. because a, a square of concrete in Gdansk is can be pretty much the same as one in Paris or Mecca or Damascus or, or wherever um, so I, I don't know what as human beings we aim to get from visiting places I mean I think it's even on a uh, a level that is a lot more um, quotidian um, if something happens in the news the first thing the people do is we're going to stand our reporter in front of it um, in front of that site and you know the, there are people employed to live in places on the off chance that things happen um, and I find that fascinating um, so I, I had a, an exhibition a few years ago um, that was named after a, a quote by Larkin nothing like something happens everywhere anywhere uh, and that idea has always kind of resonated with me and it came to a head in a cohesive body of work in 2012 um, when I, I had an exhibition at Vane Gallery in Newcastle uh, called Shan't Quit um, and that was the first time I'd made a, a series of work that was about a, a particular series of events and that was five paintings that were the exact sites of the Jack the Ripper murders, um, the exact sites where the, the victims were found um, and not in that kind of um, way where if you go on a Ripper tour in, in Whitechapel you'll get a, a kind of an actor saying it was around here on a, a foggy night in September 1888 I wasn't interested in that I, didn't, I wasn't interested in it being around here I wanted to know it was right there mm -hmm. um, and I went on a few of those ripper tour things and they're, they're all a bit rubbish. Um, they're all, you know, kind of very atmospheric and, and all the rest <laughs> of it and quite entertaining. But they, they're very, they're not precise. Um, they, very few of them go to all of the sites of the canonical five victims because it's an awkward walk. Um, uh, it's much easier to stick to three that are quite close together and then go down a little street that looks a little bit like it would have done. Mm. Um, and it's interesting as well how quickly London changes um, mm. since I took the, the photographs that those five paintings were based on um, there are three sites that you can't stand in that place anymore um, so it might be something that I revisit in the future but that idea of visiting uh, a site where something has happened um, I think is a very interesting and internally kind of loaded thing I think perhaps we're looking for some kind of psychic resonance or, or something like that um, and the, the act of of painting more so than the act of photographing a site um, I, I try to have that function as a 
I suppose is a, a filtering tool or a, a, an indication of that level of mediation. Mm. Um, and the, the fact that the paintings are unpeopled means that I want the, the viewer to become that kind of the player on the stage rather than the audience looking at the player on the mm. stage. Mm. And in response to that particular series, I'm guessing that the viewer doesn't really know that that those things happened in that particular place yeah that's right so, so how does that correlate with the past as against like with the present it's place? something that I've, I've never really I've not found a, a tidy solution to this idea of the reveal um, so with the the Jack the Ripper paintings the initials of the victims are in brackets after the title of the painting um, all of my work is called untitled blank painting and that started back when I was doing my uh, BA uh, nearly 20 years ago. Um, and it was a response, the, putting the word painting in there was a response to seeing things in reproduction and typically reduction as well. Um, my work was a lot more photographic looking then and people would think they were photographs. So I was like, no, they're not photographs. <laughs> they're paintings. How can, how can I make sure people know that they're paintings? I'll put the word painting in there. I didn't particularly want to title things, so I, I but then the the word title, untitled is as much of a title as anything else. So they became untitled painting. Um, and then I needed a practical reference to whatever the thing was. So untitled door painting. Um, the Jack the Ripper Sean Quid series keeps that um, formula, but it has the, like I said, the initials of the victims. Um, the initials rather than the, the names. Um, so there's Untitled Curbstone painting, MJK, for instance, um, which was in uh, John Moore's in 2012, um, that the full extension would be Mary Jane Kelly. Um, so when that work was shown together, together with the title, Sean Quit, which is taken from um, what's known as the Dear Boss letter, um, which was sent to the, um, the central press agency by someone who was probably Jack the Ripper, um, when all that information is put together you can decipher that that's what it's about i really wanted to avoid being sensationalist or um, illustrative um, and it does change things immediately when you when you have some kind of indication of the history of the sites but as much as all of that that singularity that the paintings focus on um, i was interested in the, con in the contemporaneous and the contemporary um, histories of those sites. Um, back then, after the, the victims had been found, the bodies were taken and uh, the blood was washed away and within about half an hour you couldn't tell what had happened there, mm. um, apparently. Um, one of the sites now is a little quiet corner where um, office workers uh, escaped to uh, near the Gherkin um, to have their sandwiches. One's a schoolyard, um, one's a, a car park, uh, where they have that market on a Sunday um, near Rough Trade Records and when I was pacing out to get that exact spot um, for the what is in Untitled Car Park Painting AC um, I had a little kind of wry smile to myself and I realised that um, the last time I was there there was like an artisanal coffee stand there <laughs> so I'm interested in all those things as well and how, the, how a kind of uh, uh, a focus upon a moment um, which was incredibly fleet and intransient in itself by definition 
um, can have a defining change upon something um, and how painting can kind of I'm, I'm trying to use painting as a as a way to kind of acknowledge and dismiss that at the same time if that makes sense mm-hmm. so painting becomes like a signifier to to something else essentially yeah yeah and that's kind of half of the practice I guess mm. um, I think it, it really started with having a um, what I I've called a luxurious problem in the past um, I could probably do a pretty good painting of just about anything so how do you narrow that down that's quite an intimidating thing you know I've got a couple of blank boards on the wall there. they could be anything mm. um, how do you narrow that down I think Chuck Close said something along the lines of um, you find your work by having a good idea of what you don't want it to be um, which I very much believe in um, so researching these historical events and and visiting very specifically the sites where they ha- where they happened was the first step to how do I fill that rectangle um, and then of course all of the the painterly concerns um, come in so I, I see the the act of the documenting of the site through photography is very analogous to drawing. Um, I'm thinking about how I divide the um, the viewfinder in a very abstract way. Um, so in my compositions, there's very often references to to geometry and geometric abstraction and, and modernism. Um, so the the painting on the wall there, for instance, we should probably take a photograph of that. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. There's a uh, um, I'm deliberately doing things wrong in inverted commas. Um, so the the horizon line is mathematically in the centre of the composition, so that paint is divided in half, which issues the the rule of threes, uh, the rule of thirds. Um, there's physical, not physical, but there there are there are literal barriers um, that make the 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 viewing of the painting um, harder. Um, and more distracting so as, as much as I'm making a um, in that kind of Greenbergian way a, a window um, sorry the opposite of what, what Greenberg hated actually the, as much as I'm making that window um, I'm putting barriers there as well so you can't really it, you, it's more difficult to read as a as a representational image and that's kind of true of most of of what I do mm. And I think that's also present in your painting that's in the Pride and Seabrook collections, mm. which um, at the end of it had the title Albert. Yeah. And that was um, based on a film location, wasn't it, of, of the comedy Steptoe and Son? That's right, yeah. yeah. Mm. And that's part of a pair of paintings. Um, so Albert is the, it's called Untitled Yard Painting Albert, mm. and then, um, I can't remember what the other one's called, Untitled Yard Painting Harold. Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which are the, the names of the father and son and stepdad and son. Yeah. Um, and that painting as well, um, as well as as well as kind of on a, uh, a painterly level, I enjoyed painting something white on something white. Um, there was, you know, just having that, just being able to play with the amount of colours present in white is a, you know, kind of a, a joyous thing with the materials mm. of paint. Um, but that was a good example of the uh, the changes of, of landscape, um, of site. Um, so that painting is underneath the uh, the Westway uh, flyover in near Latimer Road in London. 
and it was back in the 60s when um, that was the um, exterior shots of the TV series actually not the film um, it was a, a totter's yard it was a scrapyard um, and now it is a like a used car junkyard kind of thing and it's on a place on a street called Stable where um, when I was taking that photograph um, the sun was in my eyes and I was looking for the exact spot where it was um, so I walked up and down um, Stable Way a few times and uh, the the sun was in my eyes and there was a tower block um, that I kept on shading behind to find when I was finding the location kind of holding my camera to my eyes and that was Grenfell um, and it was taken a couple of years maybe three or four years before the, the, the tragedy of Grenfell Tower um, and when I when on that, that terrible night when all of those reports were coming in um, I kind of put two and two together thought oh shit mm. right that I think there's something again very human about having a, a connection with a, a locality or a, a site a landscape when you've when you physically inhabited it um, and that added this extra layer of, of significance to that painting Wow. And I seem to remember that there was I saw on your website there was a painting was it you based on the was it a site in London or Brixton where David Bowie was it where David mm. Bowie lived or No, was that, it was the, um, that was the that was the spot Bowie? where his uh, right foot was uh, on specifically his right foot on the front cover to Ziggy Stardust and ah. the Spiders from Mars record mm-hmm, cover. Mm-hmm on a place off the top of my head I think it's called Haddon Street um, at the back of uh, around the back of um, Oxford Street in London um, yeah so it, it, the, the work isn't always about necessarily dark things mm. there's a lot of kind of pop culture in there as well um, but that so that that site had been on my list of things to do and um, then he went and died <laughs> so I, I I was in London and I to, actually I made a special trip to London um, I'd been making work that featured um, flowers on things like lampposts and um, bridges so I, I walk over the time bridge to the studio every day um, so I'm very aware of uh, when a new bunch of um, flowers get strapped to the uh, the railings of the, of the bridge um, so it was kind of really uh, interesting timing that there was a floral memorial on a site that I intended to paint anywhere um, and the, the pop culture thing does come, music in particular is quite important um, there's two music paintings on the on the wall there um, the one with the bricks, that's where uh, that was the front cover to um, the Neil Young record um, after the gold rush and the other one with the tree was the front cover to um the Ramones first record self-titled record um, I quite enjoy the I suppose the expectation um, when people know my work a little bit uh, of some kind of dark history what happened there then who died there <laughs> oh no one <laughs> well possibly but we don't know about it mm. and I guess fans of these you know of like the Ramones would go to that place and it becomes like a pilgrimage like you were saying earlier you know for them yeah very much so um if you 
if you look on Instagram for the hashtag Albert's Garden New York, there's um, there's dozens and dozens of photographs of people lined up against that wall. None of them quite getting it right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and in some ways, the the research and the specificity, um, it it kind of aids and also hinders uh, the my work as a painter. Um, because so taking the the Ramones one there, the actual site that they stood um, was it was that wall, but you can see can you see the kind of um, the little ledge at the bottom there. Mm. Um, that is the only indicator. It's a long wall that looks pretty much identical along the way, but that indicator you can see in the original photograph. And it's finding these little indicators that are kind of key to. Um, finding the correct sites um, but that also engineers what the drawing's going to look like and what the painting's going to look like um, obviously there are innumerable possibilities of how to fill that rectangle um, but it needs to be anchored around a, a specificity and that's kind of I suppose it's a way to problematize the process for myself and to keep it interesting because mm. you, you you take the photographs back to the, to the studio don't you and yeah. then you, you make drawings accordingly from those photos yeah. well I, I don't draw from them no I, I I do draw from them to, yeah. to um, as a, a basis for the for the painting um, but yeah I'm, I'm very particular about um, that level of transformation as well so I, I never project anything um, I always make quite a you'll, you'll see on the my reference photograph up there there are um, four marks along the side and five along the bottom and that's kind of a, a loose squaring up um, without gridding up the, the whole image so I, I do enjoy the, the slight shifts and transformations that would happen anywhere um, but in terms of how the painting works I, I try to amplify certain things and um, put paint on in a in a way that might not necessarily be congruent with how um, paint application within representational painting tropes usually works. And the paint appears flat but it's actually there's a lot more going on in the painting isn't there like mm. a lot of layers a lot of like some kind of globs of paint it's I mean it doesn't appear as as flat yeah when you look at it from far away very much so ironically looking at quite a flat one there. Mm, yeah yeah I'm not <laughs> um, sure there's um, yeah. there's some quite heavy impasto over there mm. um i'm really into again it's about problematizing the process um so I, I paint an acrylic which people often comment on that they're quite surprised by um and i'm into um indirect painting techniques so usually where there's a there's very little ala primer uh, color there's very little opaque paint it's usually um, mixed glazed um, there's very little additive mixing as well most of the the color mixing goes on in the eye and I give myself little rules every every now and then like I never uh, mix more than three colors together um, a lot of the the paint is straight from the tube hypersaturated um, and I like to work with the tonality that's present in un- unmixed. It's inherently pre- present in uh, paint straight from the tube. So you'll see like the the sky on on 
this one of Gdansk for instance um, there's only one colour on that that's that's just cerulean mm. um, and I'm working with the inherent transparency of a, of a white support um, but it's not it's not all a white support so I, I like to work with the um, the inherent colour of the of the support so half of that was primed white half of it was the colour of the linen um, in the Ramones painting that's pretty much the colour of the of the wood so that will change um, wood um, wood panels honey over time so that that colour will change I'm quite looking forward to seeing mm. what will happen mm. um, and that kind of relates quite nicely to to you kind of visiting the sites again because they do change yeah change over time I guess yeah mm. yeah I like that I'm going to mm. use that <laughs> <laughs> tell me about your um, Ashington painting series okay yeah so th these started as a uh, part of my PhD so I'm in the writing upstage of my PhD at Newcastle University and um, the PhD is looking at the um, a group of painters who were working in between the 30s and the 80s who are, were known as the Ashington Art Group um, and more famously known as the Pittman Painters um, they started as a workers educational association class and in a slightly problematic way became the darlings of the London art world for about 10 years um, between the 20s sorry between the 30s and the 40s um, and um, they they literally painted their lives in a, in a kind of documentarian way um, and there's there's only there's not an awful lot written about them there's one defining book by William Fever called uh, Pittman Painters um, and there's a play by Lee Hall, um, who wrote Billy Elliot and Rocketman, um, that was kind of based on Bill's book, so cemented that narrative as a as a truth. Um, and the the interest with it for me as a painter was that no one had really written about how they made paintings, um, and they were taught by a guy from King's College, um, as it was then, which is now Newcastle University, and he. Um, he advocated the use of what you might term as law materials. Um, so he was using, they started out using house paint on things like uh, wooden boards that they, they would have gotten um, from the wood yard at the, at the mines. Um, and that was a fundamental contradiction for my study of it. It was like, well, how can they, um, how can they choose, how can they hope to learn these techniques of high art with a capital A? when they're using this stuff that even the the, the best of us would um, struggle with. Um, so that was the start of my study and the defining landscape, they called themselves the Ashington Group, they, they um, met in Ashington, uh, they mainly lived around Ashington, in and around Ashington. Um, so Ashington is a mining town um, about 15 miles north of here, um, where the permanent collection of Ashton Group works is housed at Woodhorn Museum. So I was visiting the archive there and walking Ashington quite a lot. And this idea of psychogeography has always been a, a key part of what I do to kind of that that slow looking, that um, slow mapping of a of a landscape by walking that doesn't happen um, by any other type of travel. Um, so I was, whether I knew it or not, I was, I was engaged in this kind of choreographic uh, relationship with with Ashington um, so it became a 
kind of a, a no-brainer, I guess, to, to make some work about um, about Ashington. And in some ways, the it was important that the work that I made wasn't a blip in the continuum of my my work um, visually. Um, but it was also important that it shared some elements with the Ashton Group's work. So they're all, uh, I shifted to, I previously worked on canvas and I shifted to working on panel um, as they did. Um, they very frequently left the color of the support visible and used it as a compositional device in the, um, in the finished work, which is a, you know, a very sophisticated technique. Um, you can, I talk more about that in the thesis. Uh, when, well, I will when I finish it. Um, so I took that forward into the Ashington paintings um, and it's the same landscape and it's it's really, the, that body of work is really ruminating on the change of that landscape and the the fact that Ashington existed for mining. Um, mining went away and now it doesn't have that defining um, purpose anymore mm. so it feels a little bit rudderless um, and that's not to say the, there aren't kind of good things happening there places like Woodhall Museum and um, an arts commissioning agency called BAIT um, the YMCA they're, they're, they're all kind of really positive things but it's a place on its haunches um, I wrote an article about it for uh, Culture Matters magazine and uh, a friend of mine um, from Ashington um, said something really incredible on Twitter um, a guy called Ross Lewis he said Ashington is a trauma victim it needs to be taught how to love itself and I genuinely think this collection started that process which is a, a lovely thing to say um, <laughs> but yeah it's it's a again it's a it's a point in time so those paintings are documenting a particular point in time um, that's a different point of time than that defining industry. And the there's a kind of paradox in Ashington. Um, it's a, a proud place in some ways of its mining heritage, but the actual sites where the mines are are completely eradicated. It's like it's been redacted. Mm. It's, its history has been celebrated in public art in kind of pit wheels on roundabouts and quite grand Soviet looking heroic minor sculptures banners and coal tubs but if you walk the actual landscapes that the mines are on um, there's a kind of curated uh, walkway weirdness about them and a lot of the Ashen paintings are kind of ruminating on that mm. and that's kind of what you captured in, in the paintings essentially I hope or so try to yeah Um, and you're due to finish your PhD, is it sh shortly? Too is shortly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, end of September. Mm. Yeah, um, I, I think I've probably just regurgitated about three lines from my, from my thesis to that. <laughs> <laughs> and how long have you spent on, on the PhD? Four years. Four years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was lucky enough to get a, uh, an AHRC-funded um, scholar. Uh, scholarship um, and it's a collaborative doctoral award with Woodhall Museum who, who are the the home of the permanent collection. Mm. And do you think the PhD will um, maybe spark some new ideas for for new works or do you think it's more like a separate project on, on its own? I think a little bit of both. Mm. Um, 
certainly something that happened with making 30 paintings very quickly. Um, that sense of sequential working was something that was quite different to how I would usually work. So it, it, it almost acted as a catalyst to, um, to quicken the, the procedure of certain emergent trends, particularly that one about using the colour of the support as a compositional device. Mm. That happened in, in a lot more of a, a fluid or a congruent way than it perhaps otherwise would have done. Yeah, yeah, you've used that in quite a few of your paintings, mm. too, haven't you? I think, yeah. Yeah, it, it started before that to an extent, um, but making the, that work in a short period of time helped, yeah, kind mm. of grease the wheels, I guess. Mm -mm. And this idea of journeys and psychogeography and, and all these things, when, when, did, when did you begin to get interested in, in these things? Um, I think the first time the idea of maybe of sight um, became important. You know, you have these kind of ideas that bubble away in the back of your mind for years, and you might not might not ever um, express themselves in artwork. I remember watching Billy Connolly's World Tour of Scotland, which was when was that on? Kind of early 90s um, so I would have been you know kind of 10 or 11 or something and um, he was in ostensibly uh, he was in the middle of a muddy field but it was Culloden um, and he you know was very um, animated around here those bloody English oh we we're bloody bloody blah you know all that kind of thing <laughs> But it was still a muddy field. Mm. And that kind of gestated for years, I guess. And um, it came, the, the idea of journeys, um, I suppose, manifested itself when I was doing my BA degree. I didn't really realise at the time. Um, I gave myself rules. I've always been interested in the idea of kind of parameters, self-imposed parameters. There's an arterial bus route that runs through Hartlepool, where I'm from. Um, it goes from one end of the town to the town centre to the other. Um, and I gave myself an arbitrary number, 10. I would take 10 photographs and make 10 paintings along that route. Then um, I did a, a walk from my mother's house to my grandmother's house. Same kind of arbitrary thing. Um, but it wasn't really fully formed at, at any level and then I had a long time off um, after my BA and went back to do my MFA at Newcastle University um, in 2008 and um, I suppose I, I thought what am I doing um, and I was interested in the idea of, of Englishness then and what it meant for me as a, as a mixed race guy in his kind of early 30s what it meant for me to be English I decided to I was decided to kind of rip off the Boyle family I think um, <laughs> so their process of throwing a dart in a map and going to that place and documenting that place albeit with them through kind of bas relief sculptures I decided I'd be in, I was interested in that procedure um, but how would I do that so if I did that 
um, I don't drive, so I, I would find wherever the, the map landed, wherever the pin landed on the map, go there by train or bus. Um, and I thought, well, I probably, you know, if it, if it lands in the middle of the Yorkshire Moors or whatever, I'm just not going to be able to get there. So I thought, well, what about if I just, um, I go to the nearest town or village, that w wouldn't really work. I'd end up with lots of images of kind of bus stops or train stations. And what would I physically do when I got there? I'd probably maybe uh, walk for an hour or two from that point, go for a pint, uh, go back again. That's not really going to be very interesting. So I decided um, to visit friends um, who lived all over the place. So I'd never uh, went or I'd never been to visit before. Um, and obviously, when you live in a in a town, you very seldom live in the town centre. You live where you can afford it generally. Um, and you, so I gave myself a structure. I decided I would go to whatever place by public transport, meet my friend. Um, do whatever they were doing that evening, go to their house and stay there the night, then go with them to work the next morning, leave them at work and find my way out. Um, and I did that for a while um, and went to some places I would never, ever have, uh, have been to, a place called Anstruther in Fife. Have you been there? No, I've never heard of no. Right, it's great. Um, mm. Lovely little <laughs> village, but to get there, you've got it from Edinburgh on the bus, you've got to wait at this, um, I don't even know where it is, um, this horrible little bus stop thing for about an hour and I thought Rabsy Nesbitt was a comedy but it's not, it's a documentary it was all filmed there, it was terrifying um, but yeah I saw some incredible kind of uh, things that I just wouldn't have seen um, and I gave myself that set of rules again, or 10 images or whatever, um, but it felt I suppose it felt a little bit um, I don't know, it felt like it wasn't enough I think that's usually my my frustration with psychogeographical practices or, you know, the flaneur, derivé, all that kind of thing. Um, it all feels a little bit kind of bourgeois wandering for no purpose. How do I give psychogeography a purpose? Um, mm. So I suppose the Ashington paintings are the closest I've, I've come to uh, a psychogeographical practice, but even that had structures. So some of the walks for the Ashington paintings were from the uh, the houses where some of the members of the Ashington group lived to their um, places of work. My own version of a walk to work, getting off the number X21 bus um, and then walking to the museum. Um, the sites of the five collieries that were around in the area. Um, so yeah, I've, I've always wanted a kind of a structure within to work, within which to work. Um, and defining what that is is a kind of I, th I think I've got that structure now mm. um, and it's a bit of a chicken chicken and an egg situation um, I needed that structure so I kind of made that structure mm. Mm. Oh, well thank you very much Narvi um, thank you and you, you're going to varnishing day tomorrow I am uh, yeah which yeah. is uh, the is it the opening of the Royal Academy summer show yeah it well actually... it's, it's not so it's the artist's opening um, and then there's like a week of various other openings, including that, you know, that big posh one that the celebrities go to. Yeah, yeah. The, the artists don't get a sniff of that. Oh, um, okay. If, if you want to go to that, you can for £350 oh, gosh, uh, minimum. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or I think it's like over 3000 for the VIP package. So we've got the artist preview tomorrow, which is, you know, 
uh, when I was in it last time. There's some very nice canapes. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's always going to be good fun. There's some really, uh, a lot of people I know there this year. Uh, Matthew Collins and Emma Biggs, uh, Rachel and Laura Lancaster, Gordon Dalton. Um, a lot of CBP artists are in there mm-hmm. this year. Uh, Rob Reed, uh, Marguerite Horner, Raksha Patel. Should be a good year. <laughs> Great. Thank you very much, Larry. Cheers. Thank you.